it's my real privilege to be with you here this afternoon and to introduce this short series that Inspired St. James are doing in the Book of Psalms. Um, and it's been said uh, multiple times in this service already, but the theme of our series is right there in the first word of Psalm 146. Did you see what it was? It was, of course, praise. What is praise? Seems like a good place to start, given that we're doing a series about praise. And praise in the uh, emoticon language that I'm sure you're all familiar with on your phones is the, uh, the two hands that pop up in a kind of whoop-whoop kind of um, symbol. Um, they are, sorry, the mic's going wrong a bit there, but there we go. Um, it's, the, it's the emoticon, isn't it? It's the hooray, the woohoo, uh, the thing that pops up uh, under Instagram or Facebook posts when they, someone really likes something that someone has posted. Praise is simply a response to things that are pleasing to us. It is delight, thankfulness, appreciation, enjoyment, or in a way that I sometimes think about it, it is nerding out over the thing that you really enjoy. Praise is, praise is nerding out. And our cue for what we ought to be praiseful this afternoon is taken from the writer of, guys, this, uh, I'm going to just take this off because it keeps going wrong. Um, so uh, excuse that, but I'll, I'll try and project as much as possible. Our cue for what we should... Okay. This guy. Here we go. How about this? This is good. Um, our, our cue for what we should praise this afternoon uh, is given to us by the writer of this song, Psalm 146. Uh, there it is down in the first sentence. Praise the Lord. Here is a songwriter calling on himself to praise God. But he is also, even though this psalm was written thousands of years ago, he is calling on us this afternoon to join in with him. He is calling on each of us, and us collectively as a church, to praise God. That is why the Psalms have been written, so that God's people collectively can come together in praise of God. So, this afternoon, praise the Lord, if you're here. And praise is actually the purpose of each of our lives. Um, the psalmist calls himself to praise God, not as an optional add-on to his life, not as something that he does in his spare time, but he calls his soul, the very deepest part of him, the thing that makes him him, his, his very centre, to praise God. Did you see he's calling his soul to praise God? Praise the Lord, my soul. Because praise is what we are designed for, each of us as human beings. It is what makes us us. We, each of us, are designed to praise. That is why we're all members of things like film clubs, or we watch the Olympics and look at the, the greatest athletes in the world performing great feats. We want to praise. Or it's why we become nerdy about literally anything you can think of and go on Reddit to discuss it with others. Chess, woohoo! Accordions, woohoo! Antiques Roadshow, I don't know if that's your thing, but woohoo, if it is. Star Wars, when the Millennium Falcon appears, the, the, the Star Wars fans go endlessly on with their little emoticons and, you know, hooray, it's the Millennium Falcon. We are designed to praise things. But there is one ultimate thing that we are all designed to praise and should be the object of our praise. It's God. 
one of the most important documents in the English Reformation, the Westminster Catechism, uh, asks an opening question at the beginning uh, of the document, what is the chief end of man? What is it here that we are here to do? And it's answered by this, the chief end of man, your and I, our purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify, that's just to, to make much of, to magnify something. In other words, to celebrate it, to praise it. And if you didn't get the message so far that this series is all about praising God, uh, then in the coming uh, Psalms that we'll be looking at, you'll repeatedly see this word, praise, 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 come up again and again. It won't let us get away with thinking it's about anything else. It's all about praise. So, what kind of praise does God evoke? You can see the psalmist's response down in verse 2. I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. This songwriter is so excited about God that he will sing about God all of his life. If, if he was going to post a emoticon under the Lord our God, the little hands would be bigger than the entirety of this church. So excited is he about this God, he wants to praise him. This is a picture of sustained and passionate praise. And I hope if, if you're here just looking into things about uh, this God, about Christianity, um, and you're not quite sure about it, you're just investigating, I hope you stick around for the whole series to find out why this God is worthy of such praise. This is a praise full of buoyancy, an exuberant praise, a praise full of energy and life. This is endless praise. This is the endless praise that people should have for God. It's the psalmist's response to God. So let me ask you a question as you um, come to this service this afternoon. If you are being realistic, how filled with praise do you feel right now? Are you full of praise or are you fresh out of praise? If we were to do a little thought experiment, let's say the band were come up to come up at the end of the service and say, guys, we've been thinking about endless praise and we've decided that rather than singing one or two songs, we're actually going to sing songs and stay here for the rest of all our lives. Would you be up for that? <laughs> would your hands be in the air? Woo, let's get going, let's praise. Or would your hands be in your pockets? Not quite sure. I know in my life, personally speaking, that praise is very dependent on circumstances. And I wonder if that's true for you too. When it's all going great, brilliant. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. But when things take a turn for the worst, suddenly the praise dries out. It evaporates. Are you really there, Lord? Are you really listening to me? And I suspect as a, as a church community, uh, each of us individually, after 18 months of pandemic, with various lockdowns, the strain that that has put on relationships, the Zoom fatigue that has set in, and with the prolonged uncertainty that we all have for the future, let alone everything else that life decides to throw at us uh, in, in, in normal times, I imagine that maybe like me, if I'm being really honest, approaching Psalm 146 today, I feel pretty depleted in the praise department. I wonder if you feel the same. 
You might hear the psalmist call us to endless praise for God and think, if I'm honest, I feel a bit more like endless frustration or endless tiredness or maybe even endless despair. I don't even know how to begin praising God, let alone endless praise to God. How can I enter into endless praise, Pete Sinclair, at four o'clock on an afternoon in Clerkenwell? How do I do it? And yet the folks who wrote the Psalms knew all about difficult circumstances. David, King David, who wrote the majority of the Psalms, knew all about how uh, dire life could get. He was let down by friends. Uh, He was pursued by enemies. He lived in hiding. Terrible, terrible circumstances. But in the midst of them, there was still praise. This constant praise still went on. How? Well, they knew, the people who wrote the Psalms knew, who they could rely on for help even in the darkest of times, and that help that they could always depend on no matter what was the fuel and source for their praise. But before we get to that, they also knew what not to trust, what not to look for for help. They knew what would disappoint, and that's where I want to start with uh, this afternoon. Firstly, the psalmist shows us what not to trust, because the psalmist, the writer of Psalm 146 knows that everything ends. Everything ends. Now, look, that is not a very cheery message to fuel your praise with this afternoon, okay? It will get better, but I want to start here. Everything ends. In the frustration and anxiety of the modern world, we're all looking for things that we can trust and depend on, aren't we? The higher our anxiety the greater the likelihood we reach for things that will sort out the problem, that will save us. Powerful leaders, radical new ideas, security, everything just needs to stay the same and it will be fine. Innovation, everything needs to change and it will be fine. You can see it in the polarization of our politics. But the psalmist knows that trusting these things to sort out the mess is a mirage. And here is why in verse 4. Do not put your trust in princes, the psalmist says, in human beings who cannot save. Why? Well, he goes on, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Why is it a mirage to trust in these things? Because whoever we put our trust in, Whatever we put our trust in, it will always eventually disappear. Our leaders, these princes, they are creatures and so part of a world that is sinful and subject to decay. One day, they'll pass away. You remember in the Garden of Eden, God says to Adam, Adam who's turned against God, rejected God, God says to Adam, you are dust and to dust you shall return And the same is true for these princes in Psalm 146. People might look good for a time. They might look strong, influential, powerful, able to help, able to sort out the mess. But they are just mortal. They are just dust. They are just cobwebs waiting to be swept away. They can't sustain their own lives, let alone our hopes and our dreams. 
And you don't have to go back very far, really, do you, in um, current times to, to see how fragile our leaders are. Cast your mind back to December 2019, if you can. Uh, Boris Johnson swept to victory in the general election. Um, the Conservative Party was celebrating a landslide victory into the early hours. The champagne was opened and the tweets were being tweeted. It's a new era of British politics. Boris has smashed the red wall. He's broken the Brexit deadlock. At last, here is a, a leader that the Conservative Party uh, can have, that can be confident in. He is strong, powerful, he's entirely reliable uh, leader, and he gets what needs to be done, done. But it was only a matter of months, was it not, before the same Boris Johnson was being rushed into hospital and being linked up to machines in an ICE unit fighting for his life because of COVID. Our leaders are fragile. And if we put our trust in them, we hand over our hopes, our dreams to something that no matter how good they are, will eventually end. They can't bring us the lasting security and joy that we all long for. And what effect does this disappointment have on our praise? Well, I'm sad to bring up something else that was very upsetting in the last year, the Euros 2021. It only takes a moment, doesn't it, to go from singing Sweet Caroline with the good times that never felt so good to a single moment, a single penalty kick, a single scuff of a shoe for those choruses of the good times, the praise to be replaced by crushing silence. You could literally hear the whole stadium's dreams ending, couldn't you, in that sad, sad moment when England were knocked out by Italy? What do you put your trust in? Your own ability to get things done? Maybe a political movement or a party? Maybe a person who you think will sort everything out or an exciting new project that you're excited about? Don't trust them. They will not ultimately help. They can't even help themselves. It's summed up nicely in a quote from, um, from Fight Club. Um, I told you this point was going to be depressing, but uh, this will really get you down. The narrator in Fight Club says, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. Everything ends. Don't trust what can end and everything ends. Okay, I've got you down enough. Here's the good news. The second thing to see is that one thing does not end. There is one thing you can trust. There is one thing that we can praise forever without the fear of disappointment. And there it is in verse five. It is God and his help for his people. Because God's help is endless. God's help is endless. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. The person who trusts in the Lord their God, unlike the unfortunate football fan whose team comes tantalizingly close to winning, you are blessed. You won't have your joy robbed from you. You can be happy. Why? Because they have invested their hope in something that doesn't end, in someone 
who doesn't end. God is unlike his creatures that he has created, who will eventually turn to dust. Here is what verse 6 says about God. He is the maker. He's not made. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. God is in a, in a totally different category to everything that has been made. And so, unlike creation, he won't pass away. He formed people out of dust. He himself wasn't formed out of dust, and so he won't return to dust one day. And the psalmist knows what that means. God won't leave. He's not subject to change. God won't pass away, and so he won't disappoint us. Verse 6 again. He remains faithful forever. I can still remember, as a, as a kid, um, having a nightmare. It was a very scarring nightmare, which is why I can still remember it. I was lost in a huge black maze. That's all I remember. It was terrifying. I woke up upset. I think I was probably screaming because I was a very dramatic child. Um, and my parents were there. The greatest feeling in life, one of them, I think, is the reassurance that your parents are there and they're not going anywhere. You don't have to be scared anymore because they're there and they won't leave you. If you're a Christian here today, you will not wake up one day and find that God is not there to provide help. He will always be there. He won't change. God's help is endless. And therefore, God's help is not limited by any situation. His help is not going to be affected by how bad things get. Look at whose, God, uh, whose help, uh, get, who gets God's help in verses 7 to 9. Not those who uh, are in perfect situations by any means, but those who are in terrible situations. Are you oppressed by others or struggling to put food on the table? God will uphold you, verse 7. Are you imprisoned? God will free you, verse 7. Are you blind? God will restore your sight, verse 8. Do you feel alienated or alone in a huge city? God watches over you, verse 9. Have you been orphaned? Have you been widowed? God will sustain you, verse 9. What is going on in your life right now? God promises to help you wherever you're at. No situation, not a pandemic, not a relationship breakdown, not difficulty at work, nothing is too great for God. He won't one day be rushed into an ICU unit when things take a turn for the worst. He'll be there, no matter what comes. So, trust him. And that means that though the darkness is great, there is always reason to praise God. Always reason. The praise, our praise for him can go on no matter what happens because he is there willing to help us. God's help is endless. So praise the Lord. How do we know this? Really, I mean, it's all very good me getting up here and saying, you know, God will be there for you, he'll help you. How, how do we know this? How does the psalmist know this? Well, because the psalmist knows that throughout history, we see God's help for his people. God's help is endlessly available to his people. It's endlessly available to you if you're his person today. What I love about this psalm, right, is that it's so personal, so personal. And we're not talking about some kind of God in the sky who's abstract and uh, distant. The psalmist knows that this God is, is his God. 
is personal to him. There is a personal, intimate relationship between him and his God. Why does he call himself uh, on himself uh, to praise this God, my soul praise God, all of my life? Because God in verse 2 is his God. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. And he reminds us as God's people that the same is true for us as well. At the end of the psalm, he says this, the Lord reigns forever. So this is the God who is the maker. He's, he's in charge. He's the king over all creation. But it's also the God who is in a relationship with us, his people. The psalmist says, your God, O Zion, for all generations. If you trust him today, this mighty maker God will be your God. And the psalmist trusts that God will be there for all generations because he knows that he has been. He knows that he's been faithful throughout history. Uh, did you notice what uh, God is referred to earlier in the psalm? Uh, this is the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. Do you remember who Jacob was in the Old Testament um, from Sunday school, um, I hope? Jacob um, is a guy in Israel's history, and basically everything goes wrong for him. Um, he cheats his brother out of the birthright uh, that his brother is due, and then he runs away. He is convinced into working seven years to get married to a beautiful woman, and then he gets conned into marrying her sister. And then eventually, after this trail of kind of, you know, mishaps and misfortune, uh, he's, he, it eventually all comes to a head because his brother, Esau, turns up with 400 of his mates to sort things out. Things go wrong for Jacob. His life is one long line of circumstances that, that, that gives him every reason not to praise God. But Jacob if you remember the story, uh, saw God's presence with him in a dream. Jacob saw a ladder going up into heaven, going up and down uh, from God to people. And he recognized that what was happening in his dream was that he was seeing the presence of God and God's present help. And so he knew that God would, would help him. One day a man called Jesus um, appeared, and he said, I am that ladder. I am God that has come to be present with people to help them. I have come to help them in their circumstances and help them out of their sin. Jesus was the endless God, the infinite God, the one through whom everything had been made, and he came as a man, the endless God who had become incarnate. He had come in flesh. He had come to live in the dust. And what do we see Jesus doing in his life? Helping people. To the blind, he gave sight. To the hungry, he gave food. To the foreigner, he gave acceptance. This psalm, as we read through it, Psalm 146, speaks of a God come in Jesus who has come to help us in our circumstances. And ultimately, Jesus came to help us with our sin. He came to be a king who, unlike the kings of the earth mentioned in Psalm 146, has, can actually save us. Because this immeasurably mighty king would come in weakness and die, helplessly nailed to a cross of wood. The God who made the world was unmade. 
and the endless king allowed men to end his life. Why? So that he could save us. Save us from our failings, save us from our rebellion against God, save us from condemnation. And then Jesus was raised from the dead, proving that he will reign forever as our king, who has removed sin from us and brought us into the presence of God. Jesus came to allow us into an endless relationship with the endless God. And so now, if you're a Christian, God's help is endlessly available to you. If you trust Jesus, you're in a relationship with God. How amazing. You have access to his presence. So whenever you pray and ask him to help you, you can know for certain that he hears you you know that you can say with the psalmist, this God is my God. This is the God who hears me. This is the God who will help me. And though this world is broken, one day you will be taken to be with God in the new creation where there will be no more disappointments, no more circumstances that can rob you of your joy. And there you will praise God forever. This God will never leave. He will never fail. He has saved us and has promised us as his people with faithful promises to help us all the way into the new world that he's bringing in. This is a cause for endless praise, is it not? Even in the darkness of our world. If you don't know this God yet, I encourage you to get to know him. He offers to be your God. He offers to be the one who won't let you down. Put your trust in him and see as he proves himself worthy of all of your praise. He has in my life, he has in the psalmist's life too. If you do know him today, fantastic. Get the emoticons out. Because of Jesus, God's help is endlessly available to us. Let's praise him as a church. That's the sermon. I thought we'd finish in a slightly experimental way since I'm an experimental preacher um, by saying a, a, a call and response. It's the last verse of, that, um, of, the, uh, of the psalm. The psalmist says, The Lord reigns forever your God, O Zion, for all generations. And then it says, Praise the Lord. And I wondered if I said that sentence and then say, we say together, we can just conclude by saying, Praise the Lord together as we've begun. How about that? Ready for it? Here we go. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. We say together, praise the Lord. Fantastic. Let me pray as Mark um, comes up to prepare Holy Communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that your help as the endless God has come to us in Jesus and that no matter what our circumstances, uh, you have promised to be with us, to help us and you've ultimately dealt with sin, our biggest problem. We ask that uh, throughout this series you would be drawing us um, to praise you and we ask that we would see you more clearly to fuel our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.